0: episode 677 of First Class Fatherhood. I'm honored as always to be here with you guys today. Let's face it, one of the most challenging things we experience as parents is decision making. Whether that be decisions as parents, helping our children make decisions, being able to make solid decisions is a very good skill set, comes in handy, and today we are going to talk all about that. My guest on the podcast is Trey Gowdy. He is a former congressman from South Carolina. He served four terms. He has never lost a political race in his career. Uh, Prior to him being a congressman, he was a federal prosecutor from 1994 to 2000. And this is a guy that you did not want to face if you were a criminal. He had an outstanding record in the courtroom. And he is the author of a new book, Start, Stay, or Leave, The Art of Decision-Making. Trey has had to make some difficult decisions in his own life when that was to leave his job as a federal prosecutor to become a congressman or when he decided to leave Congress and give up his political life. But also as a father, as a husband as well, we all have to face these decisions. We all have difficult ones to make throughout our lives. We're going to take a deep dive into how he makes his decisions and what he has to say in his book, Start, Stay, or Leave, the Art of Decision Making. Trey Gowdy is also the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, doesn't hurt to ask he's also the host of Sunday Night in America with Trey Gowdy on Fox News he's got his own podcast the Trey Gowdy podcast it's an honor to have him on the podcast today Trey Gowdy will be here with me in just a few minutes so please stick around for the interview and today's interview with Trey Gowdy was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel so if you'd like to watch today's conversation please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube link is in the description of today's podcast episode all right and speaking of decisions. One thing you don't have to decide on is how could you possibly get the best night's sleep in the whole wide world because you could do that with my pillow. you got to take advantage right now. Their sales are coming to an end. They're going to be restocking soon. Right now, it's still the blowout sale going on. You can save up to 80% on your order. That's right, up to 80% if you go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code FATHERHOOD. All right, check out all the sales they have on all their products. They got hundreds of products over there on MyPillow.com. I love the mattress topper. You know it. I rave about it. I sleep on it every night. It's the best product that I own from MyPillow. But they also have the sheets, the the Giza Dream sheets, the robes, the slippers, the towels, the whole bit. Get over to MyPillow.com. Use the promo code FATHERHOOD. Save up to 80% off on your entire order. Upgrade your sleep system. Get some better sleep tonight. Okay, and be sure you bring it right back here to the podcast on Friday. I have the absolute honor of being joined by Green Beret, Nick Lavery. Nick Lavery is the only Special Forces operator who has continued to go on combat deployments despite the fact that his leg was amputated above the knee. He's an absolute American hero. It still blows my mind that I have the opportunity to speak to great men like this. So please bring it back here to Friday. It's going to be a great episode. Be sure you follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Ace for all the other upcoming guest announcements. If you could, as always, please help me spread the word about the podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You guys know it. Father's Day is every day right here on the podcast, and here comes my interview straight up with Trey Gowdy on First Class Father. <laughs> Uh, Joining me now, First Class Father, Trey Gowdy. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you for having me. appreciate it. Well, it's an honor to have you here. Let's start like this. How many kids do you have? How old are they?
1: Two. We have a 30-year-old son um, who's getting married in October, so we'll be picking up a daughter uh, come October. And we have a 25-year-old daughter. Uh, Both of them went to law school. One will practice and try to undo every conviction her father ever got. Uh, The other uh, is in real estate and and mainly interested in golf. So they both turned out great. So I take a little bit of credit for that, but they also both are lawyers. So I accept all the blame for that.
0: (laughs) Wow. Very cool. It sounds like you've done a a wonderful job here. And if you could trade just for the people who who don't know, if you just take a second to hit them with a little bit about your background and what you do. Uh,
1: I was a prosecutor for, um, 16 years, federal and state. Um, then, uh, you know, I, I write about it in the book, knowing when to leave a job, uh, when the the price it extracts from you is worth more than the benefit you're receiving. And that's certainly true when you're a homicide prosecutor. So it's just good to leave uh, in part for your family. It's just it's hard to be around death all the time and have it not impact you. So I ran for Congress. I uh, was there for eight years left uh undefeated and unindicted which is uh unusual in my line of work and now i uh fox is good enough to let me have a show on sunday nights um i write books uh practice a little bit of law and teach at college and law school level
0: yeah wow you've had an incredible incredibly successful career trey and i'm going to touch on your book Uh, helping your decision-making start, stay, or leave the art of decision-making in just a second here. But if you could take me back 30 years ago, then how old were you when you first became a dad? And how did that experience change your whole perspective on life?
1: Uh, I was 25. And what I tell people is marriage changes your life, you know, about an inch. I'll hold my hands about an inch apart. Uh, Having children changes your life as far as you can spread your arms apart. And... You you know, look, I, I've been married to the same person for 33 years and I've known her for 40 and I love her more than anything in the world. But children is just a different. It's just different. You you're part protector. You're part teacher. Um, you know, I, part of me, Alex, which is I could go back and be a father again because I know a whole lot more now than I did when it first I mean, you're so scared. I remember walking in, and you know, my dad's a pediatrician, so you grow up hearing about things with children. And I'd put my hand on their chest, just you know, to make. I mean, we all do it to make sure they're still breathing. And then before you know it, um, I mean, that's like the easiest of the issues you have to deal with. And then there are issues at school, and how do you respond to either bullying or you know, people making fun of you because of. In some cases, because of what your parents do for a living, what your father does for a living. So it is the most expensive form of entertainment in the world is what I call parenting. Uh, and, And I do write in this book about our desire to leave a legacy, something that is bigger than ourselves. And the reality is, for those of us blessed to have children, that's our best shot at a legacy, whatever we have put into their lives.
0: Yeah, very well said, Trey. There's no doubt about that. And talking about your book, uh, Start, Stay or Leave the Art of Decision Making. Uh, tell the listeners here, what can they expect? What is the book about? Who is it for? Uh, it's for them. Uh,
1: I, I wrote a book about how to ask questions for people that kind of want to win the conversation at Thanksgiving. How to you know, cross examine your family members, but not in a mean spirited way. Uh, and I thought I was done writing books, honestly. And my wife kind of talked me into writing This one about how to know when to when to leave a job, when to stay in a job, you know, what to do if you like the people, but maybe not like the work or vice versa. And there are so many stories from fatherhood in the book, uh, how to live actively in your kid's life, but not vicariously. Uh, My son got into a school that I would have given anything to get into anything in the world to have gotten into that school. And then he decided not to go. And so how we say, okay, I, I'm your parent. I want to give you some wisdom and some guidance, but at a certain level, it is your life. And you have earned the right to say, no, our daughter is a fabulous actress and can sing and has everything you need, Alex, except a desire. So how do you balance pushing your kids to do something they're good at, but not trying to live their lives for them or live vicariously. I mean, I couldn't, I can't sing. I cannot imagine being able to sing and not doing it. I just I can't. I would love to be the fifth member of U2. That's to me is the dream job. So to have ability or talent and then decide that's just not what I want to do, as a parent it's it's hard to know when to kind of dial back and be supportive, when to push and say, well you have a gift and you need to explore that gift. Overcoming fear, that, that's something that kind of guided my life as a kid growing up. I was afraid of being abandoned by my parents. Don't ask me why. Then as a homicide prosecutor, you live in fear of something happening to your family. So how to equip your children on how to view caution as a good thing, but debilitating fear is a bad thing.
0: Well, I would say uh, some of the decision making, too, uh, for parents, especially early on, I know for my wife and I, we decided that my wife would stay home uh, and raise the kids and that I would pick up the extra hustles on the side to do that. And one of the other big decisions for us uh, in early on in the process was whether or not to send our kids to captive school or to private school or to public school. And uh, those were very difficult decisions that I think a lot of times parents need to have or or couples need to have way early in the uh, relationship so that this way, when it comes time for that, you're not uh, trying to make it up as you go. Do you, does the book kind of get into stuff like that and to help uh, young couples, young parents on their journey in the beginning and the onset of parenthood and marriage and the whole bit?
1: Yeah, because I mean, as you put your finger on it, there's so many decisions to make. I mean, uh, you know, you touched on one. My wife, you know, had completely changed her career to accommodate our two children, majored in art and accounting and wound up teaching music and being a teacher's aide and an elementary school teacher. So her schedule would mirror our children's. Um, but uh, there are certain things I would argue that a father is primarily responsible for. And, and it's not fair to ask a wife to do that. And, you know, people can fill in the blanks what they think those differences are. But I think, you know, ideally, you have two different perspectives for a reason. But think about in your own fatherhood, the decisions you make. All right. Your your kids want to go hang out with this group when they're in junior high or high school. I mean, do you do you let them learn for themselves the value of picking good friends or do you put your foot down and say not only no, but heck no? Um. You can imagine growing up with a prosecutor is not easy for for children, uh, particularly in high school. I mean, they think all your father does is put you know, our friends, parents in jail. That's all he does. So I, how to help them think critically um, when you're in politics. People want to know what your kids think. Uh, and they're stunned to know that I've got one child that probably couldn't tell you who the president is. He just doesn't follow politics. And the other doesn't agree with me. So, are we going to decide as parents to teach them to think critically, or are we going to decide as parents to have little robots that think like we do? Yeah,
0: and I think too, Trey. I, <clears throat> excuse me. I think too, as we as I get further in this, my oldest is only a junior in high school right now, but I, I start to find out that I have a lot less control. Uh Then I think I do it sometimes, where and especially now like they're deciding what they you know and it's it, it's big for them to try to decide what they want to do with the rest of their life, and it's such a weight on them as like, oh, I have to pick something it's almost like the B movie where they have to pick that one job and they have to do it for the rest of their lives and it's like it's it's very um nerve wracking and anxious for them. is there any kind of um Uh, I know you talk in the book about decision making where uh, seeing the end, uh, having a clear vision of the end helps you along the journey of the decisions that you're going to come across. But do you have any kind of advice for them kids right now or for parents that have kids that that are struggling with that vision of what they want to do and they're stuck in that spot? Like, I don't know what it is I want to do with the rest of my life.
1: Yeah, I think the highest compliment our children can give us is that our parents helped us make the best decisions for ourselves. They didn't say, I'm going to relive my own childhood through my children. I'm going to live vicariously and do all the things. I mean, look, I put a lot of, I don't want to say pressure on my kids, but I was very interested in what they majored in in college because I wanted them to see the value of thinking critically, no matter what you major in. I mean, I remember telling my daughter, you can major in music and go to law school. So you have to pick something that helps you think critically. Um, I mean, if you, your children are junior high school, you say, or high school, my oldest is in
0: uh, a junior in high school.
1: Okay. So you've got, you know, whether to go to college, where to go to college, whether or not to take on debt, to go to a school, that's may be ranked here or emerge with less debt. Um, but, at, but at a, but at a different school and the other, I, one of the big roles of fathers, at least what I, what I try to do with my kids is um, let them know that there are always escape routes. I mean, you can major in political science and have no desire to go into politics. Uh, you, there are so many different ways to get to what you think is that proper final scene or what you want to be remembered for, what you want your reputation or legacy to be. There are a thousand ways to get there. And it's okay. Some... The other thing, Alex, is, I mean, you got to do it, but not in a morbid way. Some mistakes are free. Nobody ever finds out about it. Some cost you maybe a speeding ticket. Some cost you your life or cost a friend their lives. So how to let people learn from their mistakes, but also let them know that all mistakes are not equal. And some carry consequences that you really cannot wash off for the rest of your life
0: yeah and it's it's knowing when when to you know peel back a little bit because it's on understanding the fact that they have to fail they have to make mistakes and that's the way to learn to grow to change to develop, but it's also sometimes difficult to watch as a parent and then having to kind of be that I don't know, referee or whatever would know when to step in to stop the fight you know and, and to it's try impossible.
1: to support. it's impossible to watch someone you love fail so what I've tried to do and what I argue in this book is how do you define failure i mean I go through my list of people that I respect the most in life and they all lost. Some of them lost a lot. Abraham Lincoln lost a lot. Jesus Christ lost a voice vote to a guy named Barabbas. As a good Catholic, you probably remember the story. Dietrich Bonhoeffer lost. Martin Luther King Jr. Lost. Roger Staubach from the Dallas Cowboys lost. So the difference between losing and failing If we can help our kids understand the distinction between those two, then we've been a good parent.
0: Yeah, you're right about that. I know in baseball, if you miss seven out of 10 times, meaning you hit only three out of 10, they'll give you millions of dollars. So uh, everybody does do it. And as you said, it is difficult to watch along the way. And I'm curious uh, to get your take on this. I love to ask the dads, you know, what type of disciplinarian are you, Trey, as a dad with the kids when they were growing up? And is that different than the discipline style that you grew up with?
1: Uh, Yes and yes. Uh, uh, My father was tough. Uh, Well, I had three sisters. Uh, I was first in line for spankings. Uh, Sometimes uh, he got uh, fatigued uh, meeting out discipline to me, so I had to go get back in line so we could kind of regather his strength. Um, And sometimes what we do, Alex, is we just kind of, I don't want to say overcorrect, but we go in the opposite direction. I, I was never into physical uh, punishment. Um, you have to know your child and what motivates that child. And sometimes it's a stern look. And sometimes it's just sitting them down and saying, I'm disappointed. And sometimes you got to take stuff away from them. I, I was not, uh, you know, my wife is the sweetest human being on the face of the earth. You couldn't tell if she was mad at you or not. Uh, you really honestly cannot tell. So someone has to let the children know, We're disappointed. But I was never. um, If you ask my kids, was he a tough disciplinarian? I think they would say. For a prosecutor, he was pretty easy to manipulate, I think is what (laughs) they'd probably tell you.
0: Wow, incredible. And and I know I always ask that, too, because I know it's so important, uh, not just the discipline that a father brings to the table, but just the presence alone, because there's such a fatherless crisis we have in our country with so many kids that don't have the father or a father figure in their life. And that's one of the things I harp on a lot on this show is that I I believe it's the number one social issue we have in our country and that if we could get more dads back in the home, strengthen the family units, uh, most of the problems that we see would start to go away pretty quickly. What's your take?
1: Yeah. You know, my best friend in politics and the guy that will ultimately preach my funeral is a United States Senator named Tim Scott. And you think about all the things he's accomplished and what he may yet accomplish and the pain that he still feels from his parents' divorce and growing up in a single parent household. Uh, He had a father figure in his grandfather and he found a mentor in a man who operated a Chick-fil-A franchise, but, but just even with all he's accomplished, what he still feels like maybe he missed by not having that consistent father presence in his life. So there are, look, I mean, moms are the first to love you, the last to love you and the ones that love you the most in, in between. I mean, that's, that's moms, but fathers, um, Fathers can motivate you sometimes in a way that even mothers cannot. And and that motivation may just be the fear of disappointment. Or, um, again, I, I was not into physical discipline. Uh, I, you know, I'm sure my father's sitting there thinking right now, you should have been. You wouldn't have had two lawyers if you'd done it my way. But I, I just, I don't know. I, I come home from the end of the day and you see really, really terrible things that people have done. And all of a sudden, you know, getting in trouble for speaking out in class just didn't seem like that big of a deal to me. So I found another way of, of handling it other than spankings.
0: And Trey, did you find it as a prosecutor through the years? Did, did you find that because the statistics are overwhelming about the fatherlessness and, and prisons that fill up with them, juvenile detentions? Did you find that that holds water uh, during your time as a prosecutor where a lot of these homicide Uh, people that came in, a lot of the murderers, a lot of the criminals. Were you seeing a a pattern of them not having a father in the home?
1: Yes, uh, that's part of the pattern. Uh, Probably the dominant pattern that I saw was a lack of education and a reliance on drugs or alcohol. If you let me do away with drugs and alcohol and make people graduate high school, I would have been out of a job. What I can't tell you, Alex, is what the role of a father is and making sure that you do stay in high school a stay in school until you get some kind of degree or that you do avoid drugs and alcohol. I mean, I, you know, my, my, my parents were not into drinking they They weren't even into drinking when you reached legal age. So you can imagine they had no sense of humor about it when you were in junior high or high school. Uh, I am sure. A fear of my father is what kept me on the straight and narrow a whole lot more than wanting to abide by the law. That that was not my motivation. It was staying alive when I was younger.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And just what you're talking about with the education, I know the number is that 71 percent of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. And I know it touches on so many of the different. Uh, aspects of our society and so crucial. And it always seems like we get caught up in this game of like, whenever I talk about this, a lot of times I'll get blowback, especially on social media, as if it's taking away something from moms by trying to talk about the fathers. And this, and I know we have this competition now between who's better, men, women, moms, dads, and it's, uh, and it's not that way. Both are equally just as important when it comes to raising a child.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't you know, look. I'm I'm not on social media for, for the one of the reasons that you I mean, sometimes people would just choose to be unhappy or critical, even when there's nothing to be critical about. There are things that mothers can provide, uh, at least in my children's lives, that I couldn't provide in a thousand years. Um, and then there are times that my wife will walk in and say, I need you to go talk to one of our children. Uh, because you can communicate it in a way that I have not been able to do. So anyone who would suggest that you are not better off with two different people trying to pull in the same direction and get someone to the right destination, why would you not choose two? Uh, Look, a lot of people don't have that luxury. I mean, sometimes it is just one and God bless them. But if you have two trying to accomplish the same goal, Aren't
0: you going to get there quicker? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. So, as I said, I I think it's one of the most crucial things you could do for a child is give them that from both sides. I mean, especially, too, because they take on different roles, uh, one to nurture and love, one to protect and provide. And I think you need them both uh, so critically. And and back to the book here, uh, Start, Stay, or Leave, The Art of Decision-Making – uh, book available at the time of putting this out here. So what is the plans for the book? You're doing a book tour here. What's that going to look like for you? You're going to be making the rounds on all the shows. You're going to do some book signings. Uh, what are you looking forward to throughout the book push?
1: Yeah, all of the above. Um going to do some, you know, my my friends uh, in television have been great. Uh, they've actually read the book. Um, it, it takes about a year and a half to write one. And again. I didn't write a book on politics. I don't care what people's politics are. This book has nothing to do with politics. It's not about the courtroom or the death penalty It's about making decisions in life. And we all make decisions, no matter our religious, political, socioeconomic background, I want to empower people. We only get one shot at this gift, Alex called life. We only get one shot at it. So how do we, You know, how can people learn from the mistakes I made and how can you kind of design what I want to be able to say about my life at the end when I retire at my 50th wedding anniversary or when I'm dead? I'm going to a funeral today. What will people say about the person being buried today? And a lot of that depends on the decisions we make until we get to that day.
0: Yeah, I think we've put so much emphasis. I've heard it said before, too. We put so much emphasis on what's written in our resume and not so much what's being written in our eulogy. And they're two totally different uh, papers that are going to say two totally different things about us. And yet one, we're so more concerned about what we're putting on that beautiful resume of what we accomplished. And then when it comes time to have the eulogy read, none of that stuff is even on there and none of that stuff even matters at the end. It's how you made people feel when you were around them and what they have to say about you, particularly uh, and most importantly, your children.
1: You know, Alex, you put your finger on it. There are kind of three different approaches that I write about. The pyramid approach where we try to do things nobody else has done and try to distinguish ourselves, which would be the resume or the ladder, trying to constantly climb the ladder. And it took me a little while, but I got to the point where neither one of those were of interest to me. It's a mirror. What do you see when you look in the mirror and what do people you care the most about see? And if you can get to the point where you're okay with what you see, it really doesn't matter how other people view your resume.
0: Yeah, very, very well said, Trey. Again, start, stay, or leave The Art of Decision-Making. Link to the book is in the description of today's podcast episode. Encourage the listeners to get over there, tap the link, buy a copy. Uh, Best of luck to you with the book sales. The last thing I want to hit you with here, Trey, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have? for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening.
1: Uh strap on your seatbelt. Uh it is going to be um is so exciting. It is um it, there really is no way to prepare someone uh who has not gone through parenthood or fatherhood. So what I would tell them is um reach out for help. Uh, ask people who have lived through it before. Um, and, you know, the gift that I think we can give our children is you put your finger on it. Love, security, um, a, a space where they can be themselves and avoid the risk of living vicariously trying to make up for, you know, if we didn't make the, the high school basketball team. It's okay if our son or daughter doesn't, too. We don't have to make up for every perceived shortcoming through our children. And it's hard to view them as individuals because they all are these little things that look like Winston Churchill when they first come to us. But but that Alex and how fast it goes, how fast it goes. So just treasure. I mean, when you ask me about my kids and I said I have a son that's 30, I never thought I'd ever say that. I mean, to, to me last week, I was teaching him how to play golf. It goes fast. So enjoy every second of
0: it. Yeah. Very well said. I love the message. This has been an honor for me. I got to say Trey Gowdy, your first class father all the way. and Thank you so much uh, for giving me a few minutes of your time here on first class fatherhood.
1: Thank you, Alex. God bless you. And I hope uh, your children pick a major that inspires them and interests them. And, uh, and one they make good grades in.
0: You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. Please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high-profile dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.